Louie, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Rose? Where we're going, we don't need Rose. No. I am your father. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. You're listening to After the Ending, the only film podcast where we tell you what happens after the ending of your favorite films. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Spring and Phil Edwards. Hello and welcome to After the Ending, or should I call it The Podcast Club. That's very good. Thank you. I'm Mike Spring, and with me as always is... Phil Edwards. And Phil, we are today, we are the members of the podcast club. Wouldn't you say that's uh, somewhat accurate? Well, I do accept the fact that we had to sacrifice a whole Saturday in detention for whatever it was we did wrong. (laughs) What we did was wrong, but we think you're crazy to make us write an essay telling you who we think we are. You see us as you want to see us in the simplest terms, the most convenient definitions. But what we found out is that each one of us is a brain. And an athlete, well, maybe not me, and a basket case, a princess, Mike, and a criminal. I'm going, to give myself, uh, I'm going to give myself two and a half out of five on that list, actually. I'm going to give myself, uh, yeah, two and a half for me as well, I think. No, right. But I'm sorry. not telling anybody what they are. Yeah, I want to make it three for me. Okay. All right. Listeners, you'll have to guess which three of those and which two and a half of those we each prescribe to. Yes, but as you probably realize, today we are going to go after the ending of Deadpool. <laughs> yes, yes we are. Actually, I could see Deadpool turning up in the Breakfast Club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess actually that could work. I could see that. No, we are doing After the Ending of the Breakfast Club, and we have a special interview with the wonderful, brilliant Chad Michael Collins. Yeah, The Breakfast Club, one of the defining films of the 1980s, a, a decade that is near and dear to both of our hearts, I think. Yes, yes, I do. I, it's, I mean, it's John Hughes' film, but this one is... Uh, it's excellent. It's just, it's so, well, I was going to say of its time, but it's not, it's it's timeless because it's, yeah. every, everybody, every everybody in school has always felt like that, you know, one of those things. You feel like you don't belong. Right. But then you find out everybody feels the same way, depending, even the popular kids. I would go so far as to say that this film is special. Mm. I mean that in the best possible way, but I think it's a, it's a, it's a film that transcends its, its decade. It's a generational film that I think people from the 80s can relate to, but I would imagine that you could put this film on for a high school student today and it would have just as much of an impact as it did yeah. you know, back yeah, in 1985. I think the, the, main, the only main difference between when it first came out and now is the fashion. And even that, you know, that's coming back around. Right, again. and the fact that if they made it now, they'd just all be staring at their cell phones for the whole two hours. But, yeah. you know, obviously aside from that, um, I do think that, you know, it's a film that... It's it's obviously it hasn't remained as popular as it has for thirty years. Yeah, because it's stuck in the eighties. I like the fact you always see things like the the classic poster design. Yeah, is used and has been spoofed or well not parodied or, or like paid tribute. Yeah, to. paid tribute to like uh, various comic book covers and uh, other TV show. I think Stranger Things did it recently. And I've seen an X Men comic using right. that, and it's just it's a great design for that. And but but everything classic, classic moments as well, which you often hear referenced and half the time you might not realize it's from the breakfast club but then you suddenly go oh yeah that's it i remember that bit and some great actors yeah it's just it's a wonderful wonderful film well we are going to do an after the ending for it it is our soul after the ending today we wanted to save a little time for our chat with uh, chad michael collins um but we figured it's such a good film that nobody would mind and i don't know about you phil but my endings are certainly a little bit longer than they usually are because 
so many characters to follow up with. I didn't want to leave anybody out, and um, you know, and, and I, I actually, I have to say, I got more caught up in the writing of this after the ending <laughs> than I have in in any in a long time. Not to say I don't always put a lot of energy into my my endings, but uh, this one felt very personal to me. Did, did you get emotional, Mike? I did get a little emotional. As yeah. long-time listeners will know, it doesn't take a lot for me to get teary-eyed, but uh, I did. You might hear it a little bit as uh, as we go on, but. Um, yeah, this just felt like one I had to kind of get right. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. So uh, hopefully people will enjoy them. So does that mean there'll be no bus driver in this one? Uh, I think it's safe to say there will be no bus driver in this episode. Oh, good stuff. Not on my part anyway. There's no bus driver <laughs> in mine either. <laughs> all right. They all get wiped out the day after. Mine. <laughs> right. It's a downer ending. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure people uh, don't really need to, a refresher on the plot, but why don't you give us just a quick one anyway so that people know who's who and what's what. Yes, well, five teenagers, the beautiful Claire Standish, played by Molly Ringwald, the wrestler Andrew Clark, played by Amelia Westervez, geeky Brian Johnson, played by Anthony Michael Hall, outcast Alison Reynolds, played by Ollie Sheedy, and rebellious John Bender, played by Judd Nelson, spend a Saturday in detention at Sherman High School Library. The assistant principal, Richard Vernon, played by the brilliant Paul Gleason. He assigns them a thousand-word essay in which they have to describe who you think you are. The group don't get on at first, but as the day progresses, they get up to all sorts of shenanigans and eventually become friends, realising they're not as different as they originally thought. As it ends, we hear Brian and the others reading the essay, and I think they plagiarised me, that bit I did at the start. They ripped me off. <laughs> yep. uh, Bender raises his fist in triumph as he walks across the school football field, and we didn't forget about him. <laughs> That's the Breakfast Club. It is indeed. Nicely done, sir. I think that uh, tells people everything they need to know. Yes, yes. But there's lots of lots of good conversations, uh, funny moments. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and there's also the caretaker as well, played by John Capellos. Okay, then. Well, that was what happens in the film. What did you have happening after the ending and your day after? Okay, well, Monday morning is fraught with nerves for most of the members of the Breakfast Club. Andrew, Brian, Claire, and Allison are all nervous about how they're going to interact with each other. Bender pretty much doesn't give a crap, as he's more concerned about the new black eye he got when he refused to hand his new diamond earring over to his dad to pawn for beer money. It would be easy for them all just to be friends, but the pressures of high school society make it a more difficult task than they want it to be. Brian makes the first attempt, saying hi to Allison at her locker. She says hi back, and they chat for a minute. When Claire walks in with two of her friends, they wait to see what happens. As she walks past, she looks at the two of them nervously, then smiles and walks past without a word. Brian and Allison are disappointed, but neither of them are surprised. When Andrew comes in, he stops at Brian and Allison's lockers and says hello. One of Andrew's wrestling teammates comes up and asks Andrew why he's hanging out with these dweebs, and then starts picking on Brian, shoving him up against the locker. Andrew grabs the guy, spins him around, and shoves him up against the locker himself. How do you like it, huh? He asks. The meathead is confused, but he backs off, and the halls are abuzz with word of what happened. Andrew asks Allison if he can walk her to class, and she happily accepts. I'll see you later, Brian, he says loudly, and Brian's friends rush up to him, amazed by what just happened. Bender finally shows up for school, an hour late, and ignores everyone. Nobody blinks an eye at his antisocial behavior, but all of the Breakfast Club members notice his new black eye. It's a couple of weeks later when the morning routine is shattered by a stunning bombshell. Bender has been arrested for murdering his father. Oof. And that's uh, that's my day after. Okay. Well, how about your uh, day after then? What do you got? Okay. Each of the Breakfast Club think about what happened at detention over the weekend. But when Monday comes, everything's pretty normal. They go to the classes, meet their friends, if they have any, and the day plays out as it normally did. Vernon goes to see the principal. He wants the five to be put in detention again, as they didn't write a thousand words each. The principal reads the Breakfast Club essay. She's touched by what it says. She tells Vernon to get out, and she takes the letter to the school newspaper. 
Word is published a few days later. Some kids do notice a difference. Alison is showing her face a bit more and doesn't lie as much. And Andy stops one of his friends picking on Brian. Claire sticks with her friends, but every now and again, as she passes, she says hello. And John Bender didn't show up that Monday. At various points through the day, when their paths cross, the others ask about John, but nobody has seen him. He turns up later in the week. Claire, pleased to see him, goes to him, but is shocked when she sees his bruised and battered face. He mumbles something about his dad, and she hugs him, but he pushes her away, saying there's no point. And that's my day after. Well, there you go. Uh, I think we had a few similarities there, though. I think it was kind of, um, you know, certain ways that certain characters would go that, that seemed to... Yeah, yeah, you got to got to stay with the characters, but it's... Well, they became friends in the detention, but uh, I think we all knew they weren't going to start hanging out all the time right. afterwards, but... Uh... Okay, then, but that's, uh, that was my day after. What happens in your immediate aftermath? Okay, well, it's the night of the 10-year high school reunion for Shermer High. Allison and Andrew are trying to get ready, and their two young boys, John and Hugh, are running around the house making it extremely difficult to get themselves dressed. Allison thinks back on their lives, how they broke up after high school when Andrew went away to college on a wrestling scholarship, and how they reconnected after college and fell in love again. She smiles as she looks at her handsome husband, proud of his accomplishments as a high school wrestling coach. His squad is currently leading the state in the rankings, and happy that he found his way back to Shermer High, just like she did, where she was teaching English. When they arrive at the reunion, they make their way through the usual coterie of friends and acquaintances, and eventually find Brian. Allison and Brian stayed best friends through college, and in the years since Andrew returned to Shermer, the two of them had also become good friends. Brian was with two supermodels as his dates. The millions he had made as a software creator made him extremely popular with the ladies. <laughs> As he drank champagne with the two beautiful women, Andrew says to Allison, Don't worry, he'll settle down one of these days. Allison just smiles, happy for her friend and his own happiness. A few minutes later, Claire walks in, and the room noticeably seems to freeze in time. Her husband, a state senator who was being rumored to be about to be picked as the vice presidential nominee by the current presidential candidate, was at her side. She spies Andrew, Allison, and Brian and walks over to them. You guys, it's been too long, she says. I think the last time we were all together was your husband's first fundraiser, Andrew says. I missed you guys, Claire says back. The politician's wife's life, it's a busy one. They all hug and the rest of the night is spent reconnecting. Towards the end of the evening, the four of them raise their champagne glasses in a quiet toast, and in what has become a tradition every time they get together, they all say in unison, to Bender. Let's hope his next parole hearing is the one, Brian says. They all nod in agreement, clink glasses, and share a bittersweet moment. Oh, okay. That's my immediate aftermath. Okay, very nice. Let's, uh, let's hear yours. Okay, school passed by in a blur. Andy and Alison dated for a while, but they mutually ended it, but still remained friends. Alison had come out of her shell and made many other new friends. Unbeknownst to the others, Brian helped John Bender to help get through uh, the various tests and things that were coming up. This helped Brian's confidence, and because of this, they all ended up graduating school. They all parted ways as they went to different colleges. Claire stayed in touch with Alison, but as so often happens, even that fizzled out. They all made new friends and all blossomed outside the confines of high school. Bender ended up working two jobs to ensure he could continue at college. He was away from his father, and he was happy about that. He occasionally called Brian under the pretense of picking his brain about a problem, but mainly to check that Brian wasn't putting himself under too much pressure. While at college, Andy came to the realisation that he was gay, but would spend a few more years working up the courage to tell his parents. Alison joined a band in college as a singer, and it turned out being hugely popular. The band, called Sixteen Candles, was a success. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and they quit college after getting a record deal. Brian just worked hard, but started focusing more and more with computers. During one drunken night, he and a few friends wondered whether you could create a woman using a computer. <laughs> but they'd all forgotten the idea the next day. <laughs> and that's my immediate aftermath. Ah, oh, very nice. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Thank you. 
Okay, then, well, uh, what about your long term? All right, here we go. <clears throat> Deep breath. The night of the 20th reunion of Shermer High School is winding to an end. Allison, Andrew, and Brian make their way to the library, back to where it all began. I still can't believe he's gone, Brian says. After he got out of prison, he was doing so good. I couldn't believe it when he called me up and asked me to get a beer. I thought he was going to ask me for money, but he really just wanted to catch up and talk to someone who wouldn't judge him because of his past. It was so nice to see him around the school, Allison says. You know, I think back to the bender that we first met, and I know he would have hated that he became a high school janitor, but he seemed really happy here. I think he was, Andrew says. I don't think he was the same person that we all met back in high school. The three of them sat there in silence for a few moments, reflecting on their absent friend and how he had died. Bender had killed his dad in self-defense, and he wasn't a violent man. But when he stepped in to prevent a hate crime from occurring, the man who had been attacking pulled a gun and shot Bender point-blank. He died a hero. Their silent reverie was broken by Allison's cell phone ringing, and she quickly answered the video call that was coming through. It was Claire. Oh my gosh, you guys, I'm so sorry I'm late. The state dinner ran over, and we're preparing to fly overseas tomorrow for a summit meeting. The life of a first lady, you know? Did I miss it? We waited for you, Allison says. Then... Okay, see, getting emotional. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> it's not even a real it's not even a real ending. Just something I made up. <laughs> then the three of them raise their glasses while Claire raises her glass on the other end of the video call and say in unison to Bender. And that's the end. Oh, very nice. Thanks. To Bender. To Bender. Yeah. Just to lighten the mood, I've got a joke. Uh, a naked lady walks into a bar carrying a poodle in one hand and a three-foot salami <laughs> in the other. Uh, hold on, I'll do my long term and we'll get back to the joke. Oh. Okay. <laughs> okay, uh, my long term. 25 years later and the Breakfast Club were reunited for one last time. They had bumped into each other on occasion during the intervening years, but it was only now at the funeral of Brian Johnson that they'd all seen each other together. Aww. And now, it's sad, isn't it? Yeah. They'd all been shocked at the news when they found out. Brian, a hugely successful businessman due to the computer operating system he'd uh, developed, had been murdered by an ex-FBI agent who claimed that Brian was a notorious hitman called Soot. <laughs> oh, man, I like that. That's good. And, and, and for listeners who might not get it, please go listen to our last episode. Yes, it's a, it's a call back to my previous... That's a direct call back to last episode. I love it. Yeah. After the funeral, the rest of the Breakfast Club caught up. Claire was now married for the second time and had two children. She worked as a child counsellor and helped numerous children cope through traumatic circumstances. Andy and his husband were there. Andy was now a banker and had a great life, but he was devastated over the death of Brian. John Bender had studied engineering and then joined the army after college. He'd served in the Middle East and upon his return had been approached to go into politics. Figuring he could do some good there, it turned out he was a natural and had worked his way up to become an advisor to the governor of Illinois. Allison was now a successful musician and artist and she'd done a beautiful reading at the funeral, which ended with her reading out the essay Brian had written all those years before. And that's the end. Oh, get me all emotional again, Phil. Thank you. Nicely done. I like that it was that it was Andy who was gay, too. I feel like that actually fits the character. You know, I, I think that was a good a good character beat that is, you know, not something they really ever hinted at in the film, yeah, but yeah. certainly something that doesn't seem out of character. You could you could yeah, read yeah. him as being a closeted character and it, and it fits, you know, so yeah, I thought that yeah. was a nice touch. Well, even if, he, if he's not gay, he's still closeted, he still was closeted over many things, you could tell. He was just, right, uh, yeah. right, exactly. So, very well done. And I thought, I thought oh, thank you, I thought uh, Bender would end up redeeming himself after what happened. Right, right. Well, I and thought that was important. I thought that was important too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I, I do think that that's sort of something we both kind of felt was... Uh, yeah, I could see him joining the army though because of all his anger to his father and things like that. Just... Just to yeah, get yeah. that anger out. No, I think military service actually makes a lot of sense for his yeah. character. I could definitely see that as being something that, that someone like him would do for sure. Yeah, but that was our 
after the ending for The Breakfast Club, John Hughes' classic film, if you'd have any ideas of what you think happened after the ending, get in touch uh, on our Facebook page or on Twitter at after underscore the ending, or you can email us at after the ending at verizon.net. But as always, get in touch about anything you've heard because we'd love to hear from you. Indeed, we would. All right, Phil, well, I think it's time to join the trivia club. So, what have you got for us? Don't you forget about me. Okay, that was a little, uh, that was a little free bit of uh, singing there for all the fans out there. Musical interlude, courtesy yes. of Phil Edwards. Yes, it was beautiful. I know people out there are probably, you know, crying because of, you know, it's touched them in many ways. They, they probably are crying. I don't know if that's the reason for it. Yeah, probably different you, reasons. You stick with whatever you got, you know, whatever gets you through the night. Hey, so. hey, hey, hey. Okay. <laughs> uh, trivia then. I will say actually, though, side note, when I went to see Matchbox 20 in concert a few weeks ago yeah. during their encore, they did do a cover of Don't You Forget About Me, um, which was a nice kind of surprise song because they've never covered that before. So it was a oh, really, very nice, yeah. really cool moment that... Uh, I do, really I do. Enjoy. I love that song. I was never really that much of a fan of Simple Minds, but I do love that song. Yes. Oh, it's a classic, classic for sure. Song. Okay, though, trivia for The Breakfast Club. The film was all shot in sequence, which I think is brilliant and probably really helped all the actors involved. Yes. Because uh, it's all, there's not many sets as well. You could see how they did it. Uh, Judd Nelson improvised the end scene by raising his fist. Cool. Iconic moment. I know. Uh, John Hughes wrote the screenplay in two days. Jeez. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? I know. Vernon was based on a wrestling coach from John Hughes' high school who flunked him in gym. Oh, wow. And Hughes ran, ran into him later, and the coach said the movie was good, but the teacher was a real jerk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there were originally plans to do more Breakfast Club films with the, the gang meeting up every 10 years or so, but uh, uh, John Hughes said he'd never wanted to work with Judd Nelson again, and there was apparently a falling out with uh, Molly Ringwald hmm. at some point, so obviously it never happened. Right. Uh, Alison's dandruff in the film was actually Parmesan cheese. <laughs> uh, Rick Moranis was originally cast as the janitor. And at, at the time of filming, Judd Nelson was 25. Molly Ringwald was 16. Emilio Estevez was 23. Anthony Michael Hall was 16. And Ali Sheedy was 23. Wow. Kind yeah. of a split there, huh? No, certainly is, yeah. Cool. But that's, uh, that's the breakfast club. All right. Well, doesn't get much better than that. No, no, no. Some... All right. Well, let's move on then. We have a great interview slash conversation to get to with one Chad Michael Collins. Now, for those of you who might not know the name, Chad is a terrific actor. Uh, he is best known for starring in Sony's uh, series of sniper films based on the original film with uh, Tom Berenger and Billy Zane. Billy Zane. Listen to your friend <laughs> Billy Zane. He's a cool That's dude. Right. Uh, he has a new one coming out on October 2nd, and he also has a new TV show coming out on BYU TV, which will be available for free online. It is called Extinct, and it is based on a, a story by Orson Scott Card, best known for the classic Ender's Game. Um, he's been in a bunch of other stuff like Once Upon a Time and NCIS and all kinds of cool projects, and he's a great guy. We've had him on the show once before, um, but here we are talking to him about some new stuff. Uh, new questions, new interview, all that good stuff. Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing about the uh, the extinct TV show. I do like like the sound of that one. Yeah, it does sound really yeah. neat. Um, and Chad actually is from my neck of the woods. He grew up here in upstate New York, where I live, and so we got the chatting about that a little bit as well. And uh, yeah, so we'll 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 stop introing it now. We'll just get right to the interview. So here is Chad Michael Collins. Well, hey Chad, welcome back to After the Ending. Hey, Mike. It's good to be back. Thank you. Glad you could join us. I know you've got a lot of exciting projects in the works. Uh, before we get to your upcoming stuff, tell people what they know you from. I think you're kind of reaching that status of, hey, I know that guy. So where do they know I, you from? 
I'm getting that more and more these days, which I suppose is a good thing. Yeah. I um I'm I'm mostly known Mike for the the military action franchise I do for Sony Pictures called Sniper. Uh, me and Tom Berenger and Billy Zane and, and and 50 caliber rifles and taking out bad guys over the world. Uh, that's 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 probably the 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 one that most people recognize me from. Also, uh, I played Frankenstein's monster on Once Upon a Time, and in my new series coming out, sci-fi series called Extinct, um, getting some love from that too. Excellent. So let's um, let's talk about your your uh, you you know led me in nicely to your two new major projects that are both coming out. I think both in October. Uh, we've got the new Sniper movie and the Extinct show. Let's start with Sniper. Uh, what can viewers look forward to with this new film? Yeah, so the, the, the new Sniper film coming out uh, October 3rd is called Sniper Ultimate Kill. Cool. And this is the fourth one I've done uh, in, in this franchise playing the role of Brandon Beckett. Uh, this, this, is a, this is a long-running franchise. The original movie Sniper came out in 93 in theaters, and that was uh, Tom Berenger was the title character in that. Billy Zane was his co- co-star in that as well. They did three of those shelved the franchise, rebooted it uh, for Sniper Reloaded, which was like 2011. That's where I came in playing Tom Berenger's son, who kind of passed the torch to me. So uh, I've done four of these movies across seven years. This this new one, Sniper Ultimate Kill, brings Tom Berenger and Billy Zane on screen together again for the first time since 93 in that original Sniper movie. So it was a lot of fun to have those guys, you know, kind of, adding their stuff to this film together we, we've had Tom for one movie and then we had Billy for another movie and the ones that I've done but they both added so much uh, breathing life into their longtime characters in this film and it's great this one's fun it's it's a little bit different we shot down in Bogota Colombia you know standing in for Bogota Colombia right and it has to do with you know drug lords uh, cartels taking out a big bad down there who's funneling stuff nasty stuff into the states and he's got a hired gun of his own who, who's got his hands on some really advanced uh, sniper technology, uh, you know, laser-guided bullets and stuff like that. So it becomes kind of our biggest challenge to date and the trickiest sort of thing uh, across the border. So this, this has got a great story and really fun action. And my co-lead in it is a wonderful actress named Denai Garcia, who's a series regular on Fear the Walking Dead, mm-hmm. Prison Break. And she really, she really is fantastic in this film as well. Very cool. I'm looking forward to that one for sure. And now you have Extinct coming out, which is a brand new show, correct? Tell us about that. Yeah, Extinct's a brand new show. We, we, our season one premiere is coming out on October 1st. This is for a network called BYU TV. So everyone, everyone's, I'm sure, heard of Brigham Young University. They have their own independent uh, cable network, which is available on most, you know, cable and, and satellite options uh, they also they they give away all their content for free so you can get the BYU TV app like you would a Netflix app every all their content is free so it's kind of their second foray into the scripted game and we we did a sci-fi series and it was co-created and co-written by Orson Scott Card who's really well known for his Ender's Game books and everything else so this is coming out, like I said, October 1st. It's basically, you know, the, the title is called Extinct, and for good reason. It's 400 years in the future. The human race has been completely wiped out by an alien invasion, and me and a few other characters find ourselves mysteriously reconstituted 400 years uh, later on Earth by a seemingly benevolent alien race. 
and we're kind of surviving the elements, figuring out why we're here, why are we here with our memories intact from 400 years ago, uh, searching for everything from hope to redemption to, you know, the the alien threat that took us out is still alive and well and, and, and comes in and tries to take us out. So it's really, really, really fun, and and uh, I'm really excited for audiences to, to see it. Very cool. I'm I'm really excited for that one as well. It'll be fun to watch you in a sci-fi show. Yeah, my fa- you know amongst my favorite genres, man. You know me. I'm a I'm a comic book nerd and a, and a sci-fi geek. So to yep. to do this was a, was a lot of fun on many levels for me. Awesome. We're gonna get back to the comics and sci-fi stuff in a little bit, but before we do that, we're gonna go back uh, a little bit into your history. You are from my neck of the woods, upstate New York. Uh, you come from a small town upstate. So tell me a little bit about your journey from Kennedy Harry to Hollywood. Kennedy Harry, Mike, yes, uh, which is Iroquois for the pot that washes itself. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's actually in, in this uh, small town. We're, we're talking small town, man. We're talking, you know, gosh, what, 3,500 people wow. in the town? Yeah. Uh, 40 miles west of Albany, roughly. And yeah. and I grew up there. There's there's a beautiful water waterfalls and a, and a state park there and there's apparently this thing in the creek that runs through and connects to the Mohawk River which you know goes down to the Hudson and all the way down to New York City but uh, but yeah I was born and raised there uh, my parents born and raised there as well so I I grew up and had a really wonderful small town existence I grew up playing sports in my small school and trying to get some good grades and, and working on local farms all around me and you know one of the first ones in my immediate family to go to college and and you know i've got another upstate new york connection with that i i started my college experience at sage junior college of albany right so i i headed down into the big city of albany and from from the small town of canajahari and got my two-year degree there and then i finished up at ithaca college new york and i was very soon on my way to LA. And what what where did you get the 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 acting bug from? What was it that made you, you know, fall in love with that and head out to LA? Well, you know, growing up, um, you know, like I said, Canada is a very small town, but we also lived 8 miles outside of this very small town. So, I remember growing up, we didn't even have cable, maybe until I was in high school. So, I had always just a, a real penchant for nerdy stuff, you mm-hmm. know, reading Stephen King novels at a young age, reading The Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings stuff at a very young age, comic books, Dungeons and Dragons books, anything I could get my hands on because living out in the country, it's, you know, you're kind of left to your own imagination to right. come up with your own version of, of fun. So. I never really occurred to me to be an actor. Like I said before, it was just that football, baseball, basketball experience all year round. You know, graduated high school when I was 17, went to college. And, you know, I I grew up watching Star Trek The Next Generation and your Mm X-Files and horror movies on the USA Network and all sorts of stuff in between. So I was always a big fan of TV and film in that way, but it never occurred to me to act. I, I never did one play in high school. I've still <laughs> never done anything in the theater right. to this day. Um, when I went to Ithaca College, I was a journalism major, and I had an opportunity to go to L.A. to do an internship. I fell in with a, uh, a publicist out here in Los Angeles who was doing entertainment publicity. He represented you know, TV and film actors and was, was hands-on with promoting their projects, Scott Bakula, Jacqueline Smith, a lot of recognizable names over the year that he worked with. And Mm so I interned with him. It turned into a job. I moved right out to L.A. when I graduated. And just being in the industry, I just had enough people kind of whisper in my ear like, hey, do you act? Hey, have you ever taken an acting class? Right. 
And in being surrounded by these managers, these agents, these industry types, I just heard it enough times that I was like, yeah, maybe I'll, maybe I'll do that. Maybe I'll just try a class. It sounds like fun. And, and when I did finally take one, I was by no means good, but I had kind of a knack for an understanding of it. It combined, in my eyes, that sort of mental and physical discipline that I was just so used to playing sports, right. you know, since since I was a kid playing t-ball all the way up through school and, and messing around in college a little bit with sports. So it was really, really fun, and, and that's how I got started. It wasn't until my mid-20s that I hopped into an acting class for the first time. Now, you, you mentioned earlier that you are, you know, are you a big comic book geek and a sci-fi geek, but you also are obviously kind of a, you know, a sports guy. Was it, where you grew up, was that, was that kind of sci-fi and geekery stuff, was that kind of part of the culture, or, or is that more of a kind of your thing and it was a little more outsider kind of thing yeah you know it's 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 like any high school experience or anything like that everything is very clicky right. you know and i found myself able to kind of move seamlessly in in those clicks you know i was i played the sports so i was an athlete i got good grades so i was always hanging with some smart kids i you know love my comic books and i love my you know magic the gathering and i love my nintendo and super nintendo role-playing games and stuff like that so i found my unique group of friends who were into that right and i it was all fun for me i really honestly loved every single bit of it and just had a, had a group of friends here and a group of friends here where i could just kind of the stuff that i was really into i i found people to share common interests with in that but you know, like I said before, growing up eight eight miles outside of a small town, I was left to my own devices. So right. I would wage huge scale GI Joe wars, you know, <laughs> in the creek that ran back behind, you know, my house and right. out in the fields and the forest that surrounded my parents' home. And I was really, really, really just with my action figures and everything else, just kind of in my own world, just creating this stuff. I guess telling stories sure. in my own way with these kind of your Ninja Turtles and your He-Man and everything else. So. Right. It, it, I guess it was kind of fun, and maybe that's just got a lot more to do with with where I ended up as an actor than I actually, you know, have ever give credit to. Right, right. Now you've you know you've done a lot of these you know action and drama roles, but you know you've mixed it up a lot, obviously. But now with Extinct, this is a pretty hard sci-fi series. Is it is it different working on a show that's set in like a, such a, a science fiction setting versus more you know modern day kind of terrestrial projects? You know, I think there's I think it's a catch twenty two. On, on the one hand, is these guys have have created a whole new world. You know, they've just they built a whole new world, a whole new universe, a whole new what if. Uh, kind of thing. So on one hand, it's a little bit daunting because there's no precedent. There's nothing's established. Uh, you have to breathe your own unique life into it. And on the plus side, there's an opportunity there. You get to start from scratch. You get to put your creative stamp on things from the beginning in terms of your character and your interpretations and everything from your body language to your choices to your you know the, the background homework or the backstory you've created for these characters and, and your you know your tone your inflection your intonation how you act with family members or loved ones you know in, in terms of creating this character so I don't think it was any more daunting I, you know I, I'm, I, I've had quite a bit of experience up to now mm -hmm. just acting in general so I was very excited for the chance to you know create this Ezra character and extinct from scratch right Right. Now, last time we talked, you had been you had filled us in on uh, an upcoming movie called Howlers, which we're looking forward to. What's the status of that? Yeah, I just found out that Howlers is going to probably come out in early 2018. Cool. Uh, this was a great independent film I did in, in te Texas around the Dallas area uh, last year. And with a director named Josh Ridgway who wrote it and, and, of course, directed it. And it's an action horror 
but with like kind of really fun 80s John Carpenter sensibility, you right. know, a lot of humor that doesn't hit you over the head. It's not slapsticky. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you think of your Big Troubles and Little Chinas and The Thing and the stuff that he's really known for from that era, there's a lot of elements of that. And I, it was a lot of fun. I mean, this was an action movie to the degree that I don't think I ever had experienced this much action. I played a, a Wild West cowboy gunslinger who's a who's a werewolf slayer. Right. And he basically feels like he's finished the job. He's taken out the werewolves and stuff. And in, in, in the mid-1800s, he finally lays down to rest and finds himself mysteriously transported to the modern day where he comes up against this ruthless, ruthless gang of werewolves who are, you know, ripping apart a small town. And so he kind of straps on the guns and straps on his crossbow and gets his, you know, double axe handle, fighting axes, you know, ready and polished and whatever. And he, and he goes to battle, but... There's the all the unintentional comedy of having an old cowboy in a modern age, and there's not horses, there's trucks, right. and <laughs> it's really, really quite fun to see him make this journey. And and we had so many action setups and so many fights and so many weapons and fisticuffs. It was it was really a blast. I'm very excited for it to come out. Cool, I can't wait. Okay, well, um, Chad, thanks for coming back on the show. We're always happy to have you here, and uh, we are looking forward to seeing all these great new projects coming out. Thanks, Mike. It's great to, to talk to you again, man. I hope it's not too long before the next time. Absolutely. That was very good. Thank you very much, Chad. Our most enjoyable interview. Yeah, always a pleasure to have Chad on the show, and uh, I'm sure we'll have him back again sometime in the future. All right. Well, meanwhile, though, I think it's time to move on to our 100 Years of Hollywood in 100 episodes, in which Phil and I take a year from the last century of Hollywood and share our top 10 favorite films. And this time we are traveling all the way back to 2015. So, Phil, why don't you climb into your famous time machine and tell us a little bit about what was going on just a year and a half ago. Yeah, 2015, the British Prime Minister was David Cameron, and the the US President was Barack Obama. Ah, good times. Nothing's really changed since then. (laughs) Nothing at all. Uh, Yeah, there's been, uh, there was, as always, there was, no matter which year you pick, there was bombings, assassinations, coups, political intrigue, all sorts of things going on, but let's look at some of the nicer things. Yes, let's. Uh, liquid water was found on Mars. There's lots of space things, actually, this one. NASA's dawn probe entered orbit around Ceres. Uh, the World Health Organization, who? <laughs> declares rubella has been eradicated from the Americas. Version 0 or version 0 of Les Femmes d'Alger by Picasso sells for $179.3 million of your American dollars. Is that all? Yeah, no. I know. Was, I was going to bid for it, but then if it's... It's got to be worth a bit more for that. For my, yeah, if I, yeah. It's going to be on my wall. Right. Uh, NASA's New Horizons performs a close flyby of Pluto, and we got some brilliant photos of that. Uh, we also saw the first observation of gravitational waves, and SpaceX lands a Falcon 9 rocket, the first reusable rocket to successfully enter orbital space and return. So there were some of the big things happening in 2015, but we also had the deaths of Rod Taylor, Elizabeth Scott, Leonard Nimoy, uh, Terry Pratchett, Percy Sledge, B.B. King, Anita Ackberg, Patrick McNee, Omar Sharif, Roddy Piper, oh yeah, Dean Jones, Maureen O'Hara, Robert Lozier, and Lemmy. And that was 2015. Yes, so that was 2015. Yeah, what did you think about uh, the year for films? Uh, actually, I thought it was a really good year, to be honest with you. I, yeah. I had um, a, a pretty solid short list. And what I noticed is my my top like six films were all pretty solidly locked in. And then I had like 20 other films that easily could have made my last four spots. So it made it kind of tricky to narrow it down because I, I just generally really liked a lot of the movies and, I, and there wasn't 
a lot of divide between how much I liked them. You know what yeah, I mean? I yeah, really I had a good mean, number yeah. of films that could have easily made this list. Yeah, it was there was an awful lot of films as well. I don't know if there was more films than normal this year, but uh, just seemed to go on and on when I was looking through the list. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it definitely did. But uh, no, some good ones that I really did like, uh, and some some nice little ones. Low, well, not so much low budget ones, but maybe independent or just smaller ones which I'd forgotten about. Right, they didn't all make on my list, but uh, outside my list, it's just loads of other great movies, which was nice. Yes, yes, indeed. Okay, then, well, do you want to get started off? What's your your number 10? Sure thing. My number 10 is Spotlight, Oscar winner for Best Picture, a surprise Oscar winner, I'll say, starring yeah. Michael Keaton and Mark Ruffalo and Rachel McAdams. It's part of the Michael Keaton renaissance uh, in which he's turned in just a series of brilliant performances over the past five years, uh, and this is one of them. And, and I'm always, you know, this is the film about the um, the scandal within the, the child abuse scandal within the Catholic Church that started in Boston and how it was, uh, it was discovered by the members of the Boston Globe newspaper. And I've always loved... Uh, journalism movies. I think a lot of them have made my lists before. Uh, this one really is. It's a powerful film. And, you know, I think a lot of people are afraid to watch it because the subject matter is so serious. Yeah, yeah. And, and while that is a part of the movie, it, it's not something that's dwelled on or something that's gone into in any graphic detail. It's sort of, it, the, the film is much more about the journalism process of discovering the story. It's not about the the events themselves that yeah, happen. Yeah, so, so, it, doesn't, it doesn't have flashbacks really, does it? It's just right. about... It's all about, right, exactly. It's much more about the journalistic process. So it's really quite an engaging and fascinating film. And while it is a serious subject matter, it's not a dark film. It's not a depressing film to watch. So I I really liked it a lot. And um, that's my number 10. Yeah, it is an excellent film. It didn't quite make my top 10, but it's, uh, it got close. Okay, my number 10 is uh, a documentary called Best of Enemies. And it's all about the 1968 televised debates between Gore Vidal and William F. Buckley Jr. And what happened afterwards. Uh, I was just, it was fascinating. I've always liked a bit of Gore Vidal. It was a re- really well-made documentary. I didn't really know much about the uh, the debates they had. Uh, it was covering the Republican National Convention and the Democratic National Convention. And basically, Gore Vidal and William F. Buckley Jr. just sort of didn't like each other. And they just laid into each other during these debates. And it's it's got footage of that and then interviews with them as the years went by and, and other things like that. It's just absolutely fascinating to see these two very clever men sparring with each other and trying to get the upper hand the whole time. Very cool. I have not seen it, so I will have to check it out. Okay, well, my number nine is another movie based on real life, and it surprised the heck out of me at how much I liked it, but it is Steve Jobs, uh, written by Aaron Sorkin, directed by Danny Boyle, starring Michael Fassbender as Steve Jobs, also with Kate Winslet and Seth Rogen, for of all people. Not someone I'm typically a fan of. <laughs> um, but it is basically an all-dialogue movie, shocking, I know, for Aaron Sorkin, but, um, and it, it takes place basically at three different points in Steve Jobs' life, and it's it's kind of him confronting people in his life right before three of his big product launches. Um, and, you know, it's not really a biopic, and I think that's part of why I wasn't expecting much from it. I knew that the structure of the film really was just about him before these big presentations. But, man, it's a fascinating film. Michael Fassbender is just electric in his performance of Steve Jobs. And um, as someone who who was a fan of Jobs's at least his work, if not his personality, um, I thought this movie did a kind of nice job of, of not sugarcoating him and the person that he was, uh, yeah. and giving us a, kind of a, a little bit of a glimpse into who he, who he was. Um, but, man, I just sat there glued to the screen watching this film from start to finish, and I really loved it. So that's my number nine. Excellent. Yeah, I've, uh, I've not seen that film. Oh, it's very, very good. I didn't, I didn't really fancy it at the time. but No, uh, I, and I didn't. I mean, that, I can see yeah. that because it doesn't really look that great, but I'm telling you when you watch it, it is just terrific. And Kate Winslet is is just, I mean, yeah. I know it's silly to say Kate Winslet turns in a good performance because it's like, well, duh, so is, you know, the sky is blue. But 
Uh, she's really fantastic. Yeah. And even Seth Rogen is good. Well, I like how all the actors involved. I think it's just because I was never really that much of a fan of Steve Jobs, to be honest. So. Right. Well, this movie probably, probably won't change your mind, but I think it certainly... Yeah, it'll still uh, be interesting. Yeah, I, need to, interesting I need to give film. it a watch. Yeah. Okay, my number nine is Sicario. Very good. Directed by Dennis Villeneuve and written by Taylor Sheridan. Starring Emily Blunt, Benicio Del Toro, Josh Brolin, and Victor Garber. And it's about the uh, uh, the FBI agent, Emily Blunt. She's uh, on the border. Look, you know, dealing with the drug problem and things like this. And she gets involved with a, a new program with uh, Josh Brolin. And she just gets sucked in and then finds out she's just being used. And then Benicio Del Toro turns up. And then the film takes a left turn where he goes another way. And it's dark. It's It's... Well, it's very full of sunlight as well. Some really tense scenes, especially when they've got through the, the border and they see somebody in another car. And Benicio Del Toro was brilliant. Well, everybody involved in it was brilliant. I could see why some people didn't quite like it, the way the ending suddenly, the focus and goes from one character to the other. Uh, but I just I just liked the whole the whole way it developed and just the, the bleakness of it. But yet there was still a little bit of hope, but it's mainly bleak and dark. I, I like the film very much actually. It didn't quite make my list, but it is a really good film. Alright, well my number eight is uh, a film by a filmmaker we love on this show, Guillermo del Toro, and it is Crimson Peak. Uh, so, sort of a classic gothic ghost story yeah. starring Tom Hiddleston and Mia Wasikowska and Jessica Chastain. It's funny because del Toro films never seem to make a lot of money and this one certainly didn't. Uh, and I wasn't, you know, I like his big spectacle stuff a lot. I love Pacific Rim and, and like, you know, the Hellboy movies and whatnot. But this one is a much more kind of quiet, traditional ghost story. But I really like that it. it's it's creepy and it's interesting and it's mysterious. It looks fantastic. The performances are great. Um, and it's just nice to see that he can really do anything he puts his mind to. Yeah, it's a, it's a very good film, but it's, it didn't quite, my, didn't quite make my top ten. But uh, I did enjoy it. It's more like a gothic romance, wasn't it? Gothic ghost story yes, romance kind yes. of thing. But uh, I'm not sure why I didn't. I didn't quite enjoy it as much as I was hoping. I think was the problem. But I, can I don't see know that. why. It's kind of a slower burn of a film. Yeah, but there yeah. was definitely stuff in it I really, really liked. But no, on on the whole, it's a very good film. Okay, my number eight is The Big Short, directed by Adam McKay, and it's basically all about the financial crisis back in 2007 caused by the housing bubble bursting in the U.S. And that sounds really boring. <laughs> it does. <laughs> I know, but yeah. the film is not boring. I know, because I was intrigued by it. It's got Christian Bale, Steve Carell, Ryan Gosling, Brad Pitt, Melissa Leo, and loads of other people. Uh, Margot Robbie in a in a bubble bath, drinking champagne. Yep. Yeah, but that's, and it's things, It's because it was what got me, because I was thinking, this is how they're going to do this, because I didn't understand it. But then the, they broke it down by having people like Margot Robbie in a bath explaining what all the different financial things were, what the problem was. But it just kept cutting to other people to go, well, this is what that actually means, what they've just said. And it was it's very fast-paced, cut through everything. I couldn't explain any of the processes now, but at the time I was going, oh, yeah, so that means that was that. And then they'd added another bit of information, and it's, it led you through, but it wasn't talking down to you. It was doing it in such a brilliant way, and it's just so well done, so well made. Agreed. I really like this movie a lot. I like it so much. And I almost made my list and I just ran out of room because, like I said, so many good movies. Um, yeah. But I agree with you. It, you know, financial films are a hard sell. And I think it's because most people don't understand it. And this film made everything understandable. And, and it, it is a lot of fun. It's a really, really cool flick. Yeah, because I, I had no idea I'd be laughing so much right. at a film about right. the financial yeah. crisis. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, my number seven is a tie. And it is a tie between two horror comedies, which is a notoriously hard genre to pull off, but two films I enjoyed quite a bit. The first one is Krampus, 
And the second one is The Scout's Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse. Okay, yes, yes. Krampus stars Adam Scott and David Koechner, and it's it's really fun. I, en- I enjoyed that film. Yeah, right? Yeah. Dark and twisted Christmas horror comedy about the, this Krampus creature and his minions coming on Christmas and sort of breaking up this horrible family. And it just finds a oh, really they are, creative- they are horrible, horrible yeah. family. Uh, really creative ways to to off people. Um, and just a lot of fun. Scary, really scary and really funny at the same time. Uh, I, I loved it. And then Scout's Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse uh, stars Ty Sheridan, who we all know I'm a big fan of. Um, yeah. And again, just really pulled off. It's a, it's a great zombie film. A lot of humor. Ty Sheridan getting to lighten up a little bit because uh, he always takes on these really heavy roles. And um, it's a surprisingly good film that I think is very underseen. So hopefully people will check it out. But I really enjoyed both of those films. Yeah, I, I enjoyed Krampus. I've still not seen the Scout's Guide one. Well, get so, on it. I know. But uh, Krampus as well, I just it just seemed to be, it reminded me of the old 80s. Yes, kind exactly. Of that kind of feel. Very much And it's so. a good bit when you see you see the house, it has like a, a, a shot looking down at the, the house in the neighborhood. Yes. And you can see like the Amateurville house and there's Michael Myers house and all that stuff in there. It's well worth checking out. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but uh, it didn't make my list, but it's, uh, it's one I'm going to watch probably every Christmas now. Right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, my number seven is Slow West, which is a British New Zealand Western, which was written and directed by John McLean, not the guy from Die Hard, though. Right. <laughs> It stars Cody Smith-McPhee and Michael Fassbender. And Cody's trying to... He's playing a young man trying to find his lost love in the Wild West. And Michael Fassbender's a bounty hunter who sort of helps him. And it's it's one of these ones where it's more about the journey and the people he meets and the stra- strange happenings. And they're being chased down by Ben Mendelsohn as a as a bad guy in his gang. But it's it's it, it looks beautiful. Uh, some great performances. And it's just... It's called Slow West. It's slow-paced, but it's... It's good characters, and it shows the harshness and the how hard it was to survive back then. Good choice. I haven't seen it yet, but I've heard very good things about it. Yeah, it's a, a nice film. All right. Well, my number six, I thought was going to end up higher on this list because it's a film I really, truly enjoyed. But uh, like I said, some really good ones this year. So my number six is Mad Max Fury Road. <laughs> it's, a, it's my number six as well. Oh, there you go. It's, <laughs> it's so, oh, man. Here's the things I love about this film. It's it's definitely a dark, bleak film. Yeah. What I loved about this film were the fact that the action sequences are so over-the-top, mind-bogglingly awesome, and they're all done physically with the 400 cars or whatever they used to make that film. It wasn't stuff done by CGI. Yeah. And, uh, and there's, you know, I went to see this movie with a couple of friends of mine. And if you've seen the film, you know that what I'm talking about, there's a guitar player who plays <laughs> this guitar. Doof warrior. Yeah. 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 And, um, and, and every time he'd come on screen, my friends that were with me were like, what is up with the guitar player? And, and my whole philosophy on Mad Max Fury Road is that if you don't get the guitar player, then you don't get the whole film. If that makes, yeah. if that makes sense. Cause he sort that of epitomizes sense, yeah. everything that, this Immortan Joe is about and so and I love that I love that guitar player so much um, so I, I just, it's a great film just some of the most amazing action sequences ever put to film so that's that's why it's number six for me yeah uh, it's, I, I like you I thought it was going to be a bit high but I, I just love the way I've always liked the Mad Max films this one I just it was nice having a bigger budget and bigger scope it felt like you you know you have you have the huge thing of Immortan Joe and his all his followers uh, spraying all the silver paint and you have you have Max just trying to as always, just trying to survive. And Charlize Theron's Furiosa, she was just, it's just amazing. It is pretty much her film. Right. It's, once the chase starts, it pretty much goes on the whole of the film and takes in some some beautiful shots. I mean, when, when they're driving into the, the sandstorm, 
is just incredible. Yeah. And it's just, you just this constant, you know, how are they going to get out of this? What's going to happen next? And just right. keeps going and going and going. All right. Well, I'm glad we both had that one on our lists. My number five is The Martian, starring Matt Damon. And I have to remind myself that this is a Ridley Scott film. Yeah. Um, because Ridley Scott films very seldom make my, my top. 10 list. Um, I love this movie, though. I think it's great. It's it, And I, well, the thing about it that makes it work so much is the humor. And I think it's got to be the first film in Ridley Scott's entire career that actually has any humor in it. So I feel like it's a movie that succeeds in spite of Ridley Scott, not because of him. <laughs> uh, we know he makes beautiful looking films, but somehow or another, I, I guess it must have had such a good script that there's a lot of humor and character in this one also. Matt Damon is absolutely phenomenal in the lead role. I mean, he has to act pretty much by himself for the entire film. And yeah. uh, he's just, he's great. And I, I just really love this film. No, it's a great choice. And my number five, it's a double whammy, but the, it's one of them is The Martian. And the other one is uh, Ex Machina. Uh, the Martian, as you say, I love the book that it was based on by Andy Weir. I think that's why so funny because the book itself is very funny right they lifted lots of the dialogue out of it so mark watney the character it just comes across very well what he's like and the other film was ex machina which was written and directed by alex garland domino gleason oscar isaac and alicia vikander and it's all about the ai and seeing whether alicia vikander's robot is does have uh, artificial intelligence and i really like the style of that as well yeah very small but with big ideas and great performances by all involved and you you were never quite sure what was going to happen well my number four is an entry from the marvel universe and it is ant-man starring paul rudd um which is just a really fun marvel superhero film uh i know that a lot of people were kind of like ant-man like how do you make a film out of a character like ant-man just proves that marvel does yeah. what they do better yeah. than anybody else by taking this little known character and little character even uh, physically um, and turning it into a hit movie that, you know, just really adds another dimension to the Marvel universe. A lot of their movies have humor in them, but Ant-Man really kind of crank that up, but then also still had enough action and serious stuff in it to make it, you know, a film with some heft to it. And of course, adding Michael Douglas, you know, really sold me on it. And um, I think they really did a great job of taking this B character and turning him into an A movie. Yeah, I liked what they did as well with uh, Hank Pym as well, showing, you know, what he was doing yep. as Ant-Man back in the day. Right. It was good seeing uh, Hayley Atwell as yeah. an older Peggy Carter. Right, right, right. A great choice. Okay, my number four is Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. Very good. We all know the films. Tom Cruise... This was the one with Rebecca Ferguson as well and Sean Harris and Alec Baldwin. I've always liked the uh, the Mission Impossible films apart from the second one, but I, I I really like this one as well. At the moment they seem to have hit on the right the right balance of things. You have the you have Tom Cruise doing as Ethan Hunt all these crazy stunts and you have the supporting cast like Simon Pegg and Jeremy Renner keeping everything going while Hunt's doing his own thing and me- messing things up. But I just had some great scenes, great story, and uh, Sean Harris as the bad guy was really good. Yeah, I, I like this film a lot, and I love Rebecca Ferguson in it. Um, I, I didn't make my list, again, only because, I, you know, I just I could have rearranged these 10, ten yeah, times. Yeah. And, I, you know, it was on and off my list, but it just didn't quite make the cut. But I do I do love it. It's, it's a good film. It was a real tough list this year. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right, well, my number three is the first out-and-out comedy on my list, and it is Vacation, starring Ed Helms and Christina Applegate. And I think we've talked about this on the show once before. Yeah, a while back. Uh, yeah. A long time ago. But I love this movie so much. I think it's one of the funniest movies of the past decade. I, I watched it at home during the day and I laughed so hard that when my wife came home from work and I said, okay, after the kids go to bed, we're watching this movie. And I watched it twice in the same day. That's how funny I thought it was. And I laughed every bit as hard the second time as I did having watched it just six hours before. <laughs> it's really, really funny. I didn't do as well as I wish it had uh, in 
theaters. If you haven't seen it, really check it out. It, it, it is just a funny, funny movie from start to finish. I love Ed Helms anyway. He's great, but man, this movie just makes me laugh really, really loud. Okay, well, my number three, it's another double whammy, but it's a Marvel double whammy of Ant-Man and Avengers Age of Ultron. Very good. Uh, as you say, Ant-Man, I really like the fact it was, you know, very funny. It was a, a much smaller story, pun intended, but it's just, you know, it was about the heist and it, was, it wasn't the whole, while it would affect the world, what, if it got out, it was more... You know, there wasn't there wasn't a huge big battle kind of thing. Yeah, it wasn't saving the entire planet. Yeah. You know, it was a it much was doing more. This, you know, and it, but it also, as always, the Marvel ones, it lays the groundwork for other films. So well done. Great cast. I uh, love it. Can't wait to see Ant-Man and the Wasp. And Avengers Age of Ultron. I know some people didn't like it, but I, I really, it's just, they just all keep building and building. And we finally saw the vision. Yeah. Which was amazing. I love the birth of the vision. Yeah. And great that they got Paul Bettany to do it. I thought that was inspired. And makes total sense in what they've been doing in the previous films. But James Spade was Ultron was, I mean, that perfect voice casting for that. Yes, I really like Avengers too, but I will find that I, I did find that I liked it more the second time I watched it. I think the first yeah, time yeah. it suffers a little bit from overblown expectations. But when I watched yeah. it a second time, I was like, wow, this really is a good film. It didn't quite make my list, uh, only again for the same reasons I've said 27 times now. Um, yeah. But I, I do I do like it very much. I found with the Marvel movies, it often... I know what you mean. Sometimes you have the expectations when you watch them or you have a few of them on Blu-ray or whatever. If you watch like two or three of them together and they sort of, because then you, even though they're not, maybe not totally connected, but there's just a little nods to each other and you're suddenly going, oh, that's that. Oh, hey, yeah. And you just, you start seeing more and more bits and then things that happen in later ones, you go, well, that started way back there, even if it was slightly unrelated. It's just, it's just great seeing how, how much thought and work has gone into them all. Yes, indeed. So top two now. Top two. My number two, pretty sure it won't be on in your top two, but we'll see. It is San Andreas starring The Rock and Carla Gugino. No, it's not. It's uh, yeah, I didn't think so. You know, it's funny. Just last night I was watching another movie on Blu-ray and the trailer for this came on. I was skipping through the trailers because they were older trailers. And when I got to the trailer for this, I sat and watched it because I love this movie so much. And I watched it and I was like, I got to watch this movie again now. And I loved watching that trailer just for that two minutes. It was the most exciting two minutes of my day. Uh, I loved that movie so much. Now, admittedly, I'm a huge fan of the disaster genre to begin with. But this one is so great because it's got The Rock and he's Mr. Charisma. And it's got Carla Gugino, who just last week I was talking about how much I'm in love with her. I've been in love with her. And then it takes this disaster genre but it's got the power of a hundred million dollar special effects budget behind it and it just looks amazing and seeing all this devastation and the big wave and the the shock waves and everything it just looks fantastic plus alexandra diodario's in it who i might also be slightly in love with and um it's got it's got humor it's got excitement it's got suspense and i just uh i i just dig the heck out of this movie it's so much fun to watch i've seen it a few times and i never get tired of it i'll get around to seeing it at some point oh you haven't seen it yet no no oh it's so much fun yeah i'll get it watched well my number two won't be on your list but it's uh it's a film low budget indie film called he never died starring henry rollins not on my list because i i haven't seen it yeah it's uh well i'd heard about it and i finally got to see it and i just really like it's very small henry rollins is basically is basically playing this guy who sits in his apartment uh, he goes out uh, to a local diner to eat he goes to a place to play bingo and goes to the hospital where he often buys blood and then you realize he sort of he has these cannibalistic urges which he's always fighting and then this this girl turns up who says is his daughter and then it keeps going on and you're not quite sure what's happening or why he's doing what he's doing people die and it's often quite funny as well because uh henry rollins's character sort of the way he interacts he tries to it's like he doesn't know what he's how to interact with people but it's and when you find out what it's all about it's uh it's really good cool well, that Just, sounds... you suddenly go you're, you're suddenly going oh my god 
Wow. <laughs> and you go, yeah. Oh, that sounds very intriguing. I will definitely have to check that out. But yeah, I really enjoyed it. Well, my number one will come as a surprise to nobody. And I, I have to imagine it's also your number one. <laughs> I think it probably is. Yeah, yeah. it seems pretty obvious. Uh, it is Star Wars The Force Awakens. Yes, I concur. Yeah, I mean, I, I know it's an obvious choice, but I really love that movie. I know people complain about it. I know people say it's the same as the first movie. And all the, I've heard all the complaints. I've read the internet articles. I don't care about any of it. I love it. I love it from start to finish. I think it, it completely honors the Star Wars legacy. It brings in new characters that we really care about. I mean, it brought in new characters that I care about more than the old versions of characters that were in the prequels, if that makes sense. Like, I care more about, yeah, Yeah. like Rey and Finn than I did about, like, uh, Amidala and young Obi-Wan and young Anakin. Like, I never had an emotional connection with them. And then here you bring in Poe and BB-8 and Rey and Finn, and I love these characters. And if they're going to make 20 more movies with these characters, I am on board because they're awesome. J.J. Abrams did a great job. He captured the the humor and the spirit of the original films, and I, I absolutely love it. I love it. I love it. Love it. Yeah, I'm uh, totally with you on that. I really enjoy it. I mean, I've spoken to people as well who didn't like it, and you know, as you're saying, some people are saying it's just a rehash of A New Hope, uh, and I can see, you know, obviously had big story beats, similar things, but they they'd expanded it. You have new characters doing new things. Captain Phasma was wasted. Yeah, I think she's cool. going to have a bigger role in the next Yeah, one. she's, she's we'll actually, I'm looking forward to doing more with that because she, she did look cool. And I do like Gwendolyn Christie. But yo, I enjoyed it. It was great seeing all the old ones as well. Yeah, exactly. You could see there was a load of love in there. I mean, loads of people always going being cynical, going, well, they're just doing it for the money. And I always have to go, well, yeah, because it's it's a studio. It's the business to make money. Right, right. Every, still, every movie is made yeah, to make money. Yeah. If they, they're not, nobody's going to make the movie. You know, no studio's going to go make a movie and go, oh, well, we don't care if it makes no money. Right. But uh, there was still, even though, you know, it's the aim was to make a load of money, which it did, you could still tell everybody involved had a lot of love for Star Wars. Exactly. They wanted it to be to be right. All right. Well, there you go. So that is 2015, a really strong year for movies. I, I definitely enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah. All right. Well, that's going to wrap up our 100 years of Hollywood and 100 episodes. And that's going to also start to wrap up our episode itself. So Phil, why don't you go ahead and tell people what they can look forward to next week? Okay. Next week, we'll be doing our top 10 films of 1970. And we'll be going after the ending of James Gunn's Slither and a little film by John Carpenter called Big Trouble and Little China. One of the all-time greats. Yes. We're really going to shake the pillars of heaven <laughs> that episode. Awesome. All right. <laughs> well, on that note, also I did want to mention um, that I, we have had some people asking if they want to send us uh, uh, snail mail or, you know, gift packages like Twizzlers or Funko Pops or things like that. Uh, I have now put our mailing address in the show notes so you can find that either on the uh, podcast platform you listen to or on the website on wordsoutloud.com and um, that's where the podcast is hosted. So you can find it there or email us and we'll give it to you uh, then as well. Yeah, and for all those people who you know are waiting for the next episode, you know, you people sit tight, hold the fort to keep the home fires burning, and if we're not on next week, call a president. Well, call a president. <laughs> Maybe not the president. Right. Think about which president you want to call. Right. <laughs> and on that note, we shall wrap things up. So we would like to thank you as always for listening. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And we'll see you next week. After the ending. But I'm bump and nothing crickets. What? Oh. <laughs> Could you hear me at all? I, I said I think I found I'm looking for, and then I said Bono would be proud of me. Oh, I didn't. Yeah, and, I had the first part. I got silence. No, I, and I said I the, you know because he still hasn't found what he's looking for. I didn't hear the punchline, but no, that's good. And there was still silence, so I was like, okay, yeah. clearly this joke is going nowhere. Careful now. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
I can't even use that in the bloopers. No, God, no, no. But I can use this part in the bloopers, and then people will be wondering, what did he say? Yeah, I can't believe you said that, Mike. I know, but you know what? They'll never know. My God, it's amazing, though. If they, <laughs> if they knew that, I would blow them up. My mind. political career would be ruined. Yeah, yeah. Maybe even my podcast career. <laughs> but how you know that about every new Marvel film coming out <laughs> is just going to, wow. Nice. I, I like the way you deflected it completely away from what it really was. Yeah, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll take it. Try well, and salvage we, my reputation. Well, we can't talk about that because it's... <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so you're saying Tony Stark's been a robot the whole time. <laughs> he died in the cave. Oh, my God. That, that is exactly what I'm saying. Yes. Oh, my God. The Iron Man of the title is actually literal. Oh, wow. That's going to yeah, be a hell of know, a reveal. Right? Mind equals blown. Yeah, yeah I know. And, and Thanos is actually just going to be some kind of cloud in space. That's stupid. Who'd ever do that? <laughs> <laughs> you know what's sad about that is only only people who have seen the second Fantastic Four movie will get that joke, and yeah, most people probably didn't even bother. I know. One of the most <laughs> iconic cosmic characters in the Marvel uh, Universe. And yep. he turned him into a cloud? Yeah. Well, maybe a hint of a, a shadow of, of, you know, what he should have been, but jeez. You know, and it's like uh, people complaining about Parallax and Green Lantern and all you want to be like, I was like, oh, yeah? Well, at least your cloud had a face. Yeah. Freaking Galactus was just a purple cloud. I'll, I'll see your Parallax and I'll raise you a Galactus. Because everybody loves a sniper. Right. Yeah. Well, apart right. from the people, the sniping. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> the politician white, the, yeah, I, 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 I'm <laughs> You're too close to this film, Mike. And then we'll do the doo 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 Hi, I'm yeah. Sir Michael Collins. <laughs> That's that. <laughs> that wasn't even meant to be an impression. No, I know, but it was so the good. combination of your take on the music plus your impression yeah. of Chad Michael Collins was uh, was quite quite probably something. Sc- scary how good it is. Yeah, it really I mean, was. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you probably thought, "What's he doing here?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Mike. <laughs> That's exactly what he sounds like. Uh, all right. <laughs> Okay. Oh no, people! If people are listening to that, though, they'll think they didn't actually get Chad Michael Collins on. It's just Phil doing <laughs> another one of his classic impressions. Right. We're just faking it. Oh no! It's, it's fake Chad Michael Collins. Because I am so good at it. Right. Hi, my guy. I'm fake Chad. Oh no, I said fake. <laughs> oh no. Oh, it's like a new character for our show with Pervy Yoda and Peter the yeah. Hutt. Fake Chad I'm, Michael Collins. I'm, I'm fake Chad Michael Collins. I'm. You'll know me from the snipping films. <laughs> Hey, Chad, it's Mike. Just wanted to let you know the new episode dropped. And by the way, you're now a meme in our show. I hope that's okay. That's okay, Mike. I'm fake Chad Michael Collins. (laughs) My voice is getting more growly. Right. You don't don't mind if we run with the fake Chad Michael Collins for the next, oh, I don't know, 100 episodes or so, do you? Hey, I don't care. Try the fish. (laughs) Oh, my. And in a related note, Chad Michael Collins will never be appearing on After the Ending again. Yeah. (laughs) This just in, Chad Michael Collins has disavowed any knowledge of the After the Ending podcast. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Who who, who are those guys? (laughs) 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 Wow. Glad to see we've completely lost our minds. Yeah. Yeah. What do you got? (laughs) <laughs> I was going to say, Chad Michael, fake Chad Michael Collins is slowly morphing into Al Pacino. I think I like him better when he's just fake Chad Michael Collins. Let's keep him separate from, from Al Pacino. Okay. Turn back to growl. Yeah, t- definitely dial down the growl a bit. <clears throat> okay. Hi, I'm Chad Michael Collins. There you go. That's the fake Chad Michael Collins that we all know and love. Yes.
Well, actually, why don't you come into it? Come out of it, because you know I did the interview. Okay. I'll look at. The... <laughs> okay. Okay. <clears throat> oh crap. I did that solely so that you'd have to be the one to talk first, not me. <laughs> so I wouldn't break. Okay. <laughs> For God's sake, fake Chad Michael Collins, get, stop tickling me. <laughs> NASA's damn probe. What the hell? Oh, no. NASA's dawn probe. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to focus on the positive stuff here. NASA's damn NASA's probe. NASA's damn probe. <laughs> All right, let's. I still can't believe you said that, Mike. God. <laughs> I am a terrible, terrible person. Mm-hmm. We're all thinking it, though. Dear Mr. Vernon, we accept the fact that we had to sacrifice a whole Saturday in detention for whatever it was we did wrong. But we think you're crazy to make us write an essay telling you who we think we are. And you see us as you want to see us. In the simplest terms, the most convenient definitions but what we found out is that each one of us is a brain and an athlete and a basket case a princess and a criminal does that answer your question sincerely yours the breakfast club don't, don't.